0: Happy New Year. Glad to see all of you. Uh, you know, I was I was uh, not, not expecting uh, more people than I'm seeing today because I know many of our brothers and sisters are out today. My praise God that you're here. and you're so, I know some of you probably were, were planning to go on some vacation, but I didn't pan out. <laughs> Maybe. That's why you're here. But praise God. Praise God. This is uh, really the best place to be in at this very moment. Uh, being in fellowship, being in the midst of worship. And before we head to our prayer, I um, just wanted to mention a few things. This past year, we had a goal to finish reading the entire Bible. And I praise God for those uh, who are done already reading through the entire Bible this past year. So so uh, praise God for, for what God has uh, inspired your heart to do. And we're going to go back to this next week because uh, you still have how many days? Today, tomorrow, until... <laughs> Two days before the end of the year. So so if you haven't finished uh your reading, maybe you have a few days to catch up. Unless you have half of the Old Testament to finish. <laughs> and uh, so so just reminding you of that, then next Sunday we're gonna go back to that uh and recognize those who have accomplished this uh task. Um and also, we welcome all those who are here for the first time. So one of the things that we do in this church, we are, we are really faithful in trying to, to follow the, the Acts uh, 242 command that they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, which is the word of God, the Bible. That's why we study the word of God, because we are commanded to study the writings, the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. And also, they were devoted, the early church was devoted to prayer. And of course, that includes worship and prayer, of course. And also they were devoted to fellowship, uh, you know, supporting one another, encouraging one another. Well, one of the things they talk about in that passage is devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. So, so they shared a meal. So, you know, this church, we share a meal every, t- every, every Sunday. And so those are here for the first time, hang, hang around because we're going to uh, enjoy a meal together as well. Uh, this is not just for today. This is for every Sunday. This is what we do as a church. And so... Um, I pray that you will remain during the fellowship time. Um, and uh, I wanted to finish today what we've been talking about this past three Sundays, the, this, the back story of Christmas or the story behind the Christmas story. And today we're going to talk about the Magi. Uh, but before that, I just want you to remind you that we have this timeline listed in our program. So I hope you have a copy of the program. Uh, we, because, you know, there's a lot of misinformation about Christmas. And, and some people, as I said last week, they get their information from the Christmas cards. But sometimes the Christmas cards is not accurate. And even those uh, posters that you see on malls and stores about what Christmas is. Of course, we know as Christians that we celebrate the birth, the coming of Jesus, because he came to save the world, save us, save us, bring salvation to the human race. But timeline really tells you when did each of those events happened. And let's just go over this, then we'll head to prayer. You know, the Christmas story begins with the genealogy. And it's very important. The genealogy of Jesus is very important because it really solidifies the truth that Jesus is the rightful Messiah because he is the rightful heir of David. He's a descendant of David, he is a Jew. Of course, the Messiah has to, be, has to come from Abraham. You know there was a promise that that the offspring of Abraham is going to be the Messiah, and of course Jesus is also a human being because he's a descendant of Adam. So those are the you know one of the requ- three requirements of, a, of the Messiah: descendant of Abraham, uh, a descendant of David, and also of course a human being, descendant of Adam. And and then that those those uh. Uh, key people in the in the genealogy, Abraham and David, they were thousands of years before Jesus. Then we next next in the Christmas story, we hear the story of Zechariah when when God announced the coming of Jesus, um, um, the the one who will introduce Jesus into the world, uh, John the Baptist. Again, I said he's not a Baptist, by the way. <laughs> he just baptizes people, and a member of Baptist church, uh, and also. Uh, Then next, after uh, introducing uh, the the father, which is Zechariah, father of John the Baptist, uh, Gabriel, the same angel, went to Mary in Nazareth. And this was around nine months before Jesus' birth. Of course, you know that. Uh, And of course, Zechariah was uh, met by Gabriel 15 months, 15 months before Jesus' birth. So now we have an idea that the John the Baptist is only six months older than Jesus. I don't know why in movies they portray John the Baptist as very old. You notice in movies, he looks he's like an old person, but he's only six months older. So maybe when Jesus started ministry, John the Baptist was only 30 or 31 years old when he started his ministry. Because Jesus started, started when he was 30. Uh, and you got then nine months again before Jesus' birth, John, um, uh, Mary visits Elizabeth. That's when we hear the story where, you know, the salutation of Mary, Mary, blessed are you among all women? Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. that's where we hear that when Jesus, and when Mary visited her cousin, Elizabeth. Then, around nine months also before uh, uh, Jesus' birth, that's when we hear Mary's song, and, and six months before Jesus' birth, so Mary returned to, uh, to Galilee, to Nazareth. So therefore Mary, that Mary stayed with her cousin for three months, when she was beginning to be pregnant. And by the time he went, he went home, nine, six, uh, six months before Jesus' birth, her tummy was showing probably already, and people were noticing. And Joseph, of course, wanted to divorce Mary because that's not my son. I know we're not married yet, and we, were, we don't have children. So, uh, yeah, but somehow, you know, we know that the next part of the story, God or the angel appeared to Joseph and told him that that baby is mine. It's, it's the son of God conceive in the Holy Spirit and take Mary as your wife do not be afraid that's what uh that's what uh the angel told Joseph and so Joseph and Mary uh, were together although they were not yet um, married they were just uh they were still what they called it uh, betrothed or or uh, engaged to one another and they went to Bethlehem around the time of Jesus birth because of the census that's what that's That was around 6 BC. Then, and that's when Jesus was born. And the day that Jesus was born, he was visited by shepherds. And eight days after Jesus' birth, he was circumcised according to the Jewish law. The baby, according to Jewish law, has to be circumcised eight days after birth. Then 41 days after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph had to go to the temple for Mary's uh, uh, purification, which, which is also required by the law, it has to be done 8 days plus 33 days. So there's a certain number of days required by, by, the, by the Jewish law. So that's the day when Mary went to the temple, brought Jesus, and that's when Jesus, uh, Mary and Joseph, met these two people, Simeon and Anna, and they gave some prophecy about Jesus, both of these persons, while they were in the temple. Then more than two months... To 24 months, we don't know exactly, some believe around a year after Jesus' birth, around one year after Jesus was born, that was the time the Magi came to Jerusalem and came to visit Jesus. Uh, and Jesus, by the time, who was already living in a house in Bethlehem, and Joseph and Mary found out that, that Herod was planning to kill they left for Egypt. And, and And then, that's when Herod, the last part of that reading earlier, that was the time, that's around two to three years, or two years, around one year maybe or more, maybe around two years, that's when Herod killed all the baby boys, two years and under in Bethlehem because he was hoping to kill Jesus. Because he doesn't know. The Magi didn't tell him which house Jesus, Jesus lived in, so he didn't know. So the only way for him to be able to do that is to kill all the babies. Who would kill babies? This man is really, really bad. And and then, after Herod died, just a few years, uh, two years actually after that event, a year or two years after that event, around 4 BC, maybe just a year, King Herod dies. And then when Joseph found out that the King Herod died, they returned back to Turn back to uh to Judea, then eventually to Nazareth. And that's the last part of the Christmas story. So now I hope you have a better picture on the sequence of events in the Christmas story and what times and dates uh schedule based on the script based on scripture. Let us let us pray. Father God, we ask your blessing today, Lord, as we continue the story, Lord, of Christ, the Christmas story, and talk about the Magi. I pray that you grant us understanding and wisdom and appreciation, O oh God, of your word and your truth, Lord. Lord, I truly believe that your word is the bread of life, and it's truly knowing you and knowing your word, O oh God, that brings growth and maturity and strength in the Christian life, Lord. And as we face another year, Lord, my desire is in this church and everyone who's here, Lord, We'll make a commitment to know you more, Lord, to know your word more, oh God. We have read through the Bible, Lord, this past year as our goal, oh God. And Lord, this coming year, our desire, Lord, is to to take in uh, small portions of your word and really digest and understand your word in in more detail, oh God, this coming year. To learn how to meditate on your word, to learn to do Bible study, personal Bible studies, Lord. To really uh, uh memorize your word, Lord, if possible, oh God. So Lord, I pray that this kinds of commitment, Lord, will be the commitment of my brothers and sisters here. as Lord, to be like what Paul said, Lord God. And we are not to be ashamed of the gospel. We will not be ashamed, Lord God. And the reason and the how we're gonna overcome uh, being ashamed, Lord. Uh, Paul also said this, Lord, in 2 Timothy uh 2, 2. Uh, Lord, that, that, that Lord, a, mer- a workman does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, rightly handling the Word of God. So I pray that in this church, we will know how to handle Scripture. We know how to handle your Word, so that we will be a workman who's not ashamed of oh God. But we'll be confident in sharing our faith and speaking on behalf of you, Lord, because we know your Word, because we know you, Lord, and we understand the truth. Lord, uh, tonight, we remember, Lord God, our sister, oh God, who is struggling this very moment, Lord, struggling with her life, oh God, our so sister Letty, Lord God, Lord God, she's been battling with cancer for these past several months, Lord, and Lord, and it's come to this point, Lord, where she's struggling even to take in food, Lord God. Lord, we ask for your comfort, Lord. We ask for your, uh, your strength upon her body, Lord, and, know, and we know in our heart, Lord God, it is your will that that's be do- that should be done, Lord God, but Lord, you also told us in your word that we are to to plead or to present, we are to present our our prayers our requests before you, Lord God, and so this is our desire, our prayer that Lord, if you're willing, Lord God, grant her this healing that's needed, oh God, for her body, Lord, grant her deliverance from cancer, Lord, Lord, um it may be a hopeless situation from our perspective, it might be a hopeless situation from anyone's perspective oh god or even the doctor's perspective but lord in you there is hope lord in you there nothing is impossible lord god and so lord we lift our sister unto you lord sister let me lord and grant her deliverance lord and even comfort in this time that she's struggling right now lord even even lord uh lord free from 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 any pain or or anything that she's going through right now lord and comfort her family lord grant her Grant them the wisdom to know how to care for her, Lord. Lord, help us to be uh, brothers and sisters who will support the family in this time, Lord. And I pray that as we visit, Lord God, uh, we will be an encouragement also to the family, Lord. And Lord, uh, thank you for this time as we uh, talk about your, the, the Magi, O oh God, that you have allowed us to co- c- allow us to know through your through your word, Lord. And Lord, speak to our hearts and sp- speak through me, Lord. And cleanse our heart from any sin that might hinder you from working through us, Lord God. You know how imperfect we are in our ways, O oh God, and sometimes we fall, O oh God, and succumb to sin. But we ask your cleansing and forgiveness, Lord, and we do confess our sins, O oh God, before you. You know they are, You know the. De- you know what our sins are, Lord, and what we have done against you, Lord. And Lord, help us to come to come before you in your word, Lord God, with an openness of heart and mind. Thank you, Lord. That's your blessing, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me read to you the passage first. Um, and let's just read up to verse 12 so that you'll get to hear again this, this account that Carlo just read earlier. But I want you to walk with me on this. And I hope you got your Bibles uh, with you or your phones open. Let's read Matthew 2, and I'll just read it for you. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12 from the NIV. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, Judea, by the way, is the province where Bethlehem is located. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born, the king of the Jews? We saw his star where it, was, where it rose and have come to worship him. So they expected the Jews to know this. The Magi expected the Jews to know this, but they did. apparently the Jews did not know. And so since no one knew, eventually they get to meet King Herod. And Herod heard about this and he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And he had called together the people's chief uh priests and the teachers of the law, the people who knew uh the torah the, the law of God and script and and of course uh the church, and asked them where where the Messiah was to be born and and uh, of course, these people they probably knew the fairy phari- the, the the prophecies about jesus uh you know maybe memorize some of the prophecies in Bethlehem. In Judea, they replied, Bethlehem, for this is what the prophet has said. And one of those prominent prophecies is in Micah. This is actually taken from Micah 5.2. And we talked about this uh, three weeks ago. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, so this prophecy is saying that, that the Messiah is going to come from this city. From this town, and of course we know that Bethlehem is also the hometown of David, King David, thousands of years earlier. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. So, 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 so Herod knew the exact date of Jesus' birth, because that was the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child, and I soon, as, as soon as you find him. Report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. <laughs> because we know that Herod is lying here because he had a different plan. Verse 9, after they heard the king, they went on their way, the magi, and the star that, had, that they had seen, they, they saw the star from the east, and that star, they saw it again, it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Hmm, This is a moving star. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. Oh, they were marrying Joseph now. He's not in a stable. And Jesus was not in a manger anymore at this point because they were living in a house, probably a rented house. And they saw Mary there and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold. Take note of that statement. They opened their treasures, presented them with gifts. What kind of gifts? Gifts of gold, gifts of frankincense, and gifts of mirror. Mir. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country another rock. Oh. by another route. By another route. So that is the story of the Magi recorded in Scripture. And notice that this is the only source uh, in the New Testament, this is the only source we have for the Magi. So any other information that you have about the Magi at least based on the New Testament uh, is really just based on speculation because this is the only what we have. But we can get some more information from history and of course from the Old Testament because you know uh, there's more about them uh, beyond just what's written in the New Testament. But you have to go back to the Old Testament. So, the first, I would like to answer a few questions to this message. Um, and the first question I would like us to answer is who were the Magi? Who were the Magi? Then, secondly, when did they arrive? Uh, it's a basic information that I think we need to just to address. And there's a reason why I would like us to talk about this. And also, what was the star? what was the star that led them to Bethlehem and eventually led them to the house? So, so we'll try to answer that question. And the last question we're going to answer is, what, what can we learn from the Magi? What, what can we learn from what they have uh, gone through and what they have done? So the Magi, first question is, What what who were the Magi? You know, the Magi were, were a mysterious, uh, you know, they're one of the most mysterious characters in, in the New Testament. And... And during the Middle Ages, you know, there's a legend that, that says that they were, they, were, they were actually kings. But it's just a legend because the Bible doesn't really say they were kings. And they were given names, Gaspar, Balthazar, and Melchior. But those names only came in the Middle Ages. It's not even recorded in the Bible. So, so one thing that we know about the Magi from, from historians is that this was an ancient tribe that dates back to the time of Abraham. So meaning, they even date back to the time of the Chaldeans. So it's it's an ancient uh, group of people or or a tribe. And and the Magi, one of the things that's prominent about them, which is why they're so popular, well-known, even back in the time of Abraham, was that they were skilled in the sciences. They're very well versed in the sciences. They were skilled in astronomy, uh, and of course, different kinds of sciences, but also in astrology. You know, the dif- you know the difference between astronomy and astrology, right? That's why, for us Christians, you should not be involved in, in horoscopes, okay? Because that is not from God. Uh, and they are also known to practice sorcery, occult, and dream interpretation. So they practice these kinds of things. And these kinds of things, they were not things that God wanted the Jews to be messing around with. And of course, Christians, we should not be messing around with with these things. So so we know that that these people, they were not really worshippers of Yahweh. They were not really worshippers of the God of Israel, okay? Um, and, And you know, the word magic and magician that we have in English today actually comes from them. It comes from the word magi. That's why we have now the word we call magic and magician, magician. Because the Magi were well known for this. Were well known for this. And there's a person in Acts uh, who, who practiced magic, and he was a Magi as well. Uh, you, you can check it out in the book of Acts. I forgot the chapter. <laughs> um, so, because of their well-versed in the knowledge of science and, and, dif- and religion, they became politically powerful as a group, especially their leaders. Eventually, these Magi, back in the time of the Babylonians, thousands of years before Jesus, during the time of the Persians, and later on, during the time of Jesus, the Parthians, Parthians, right? Parthian Empire. empire they, become, they became advisors to the king. So, so, so we can read about the Magi, actually, in the Old Testament. We read about them in Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, chapter 2, Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 6, and even Esther chapter 1. You can read about the Magi in those chapters. And they're called, you know how, what they're called in the Old Testament? They're translated in your English Bible as wise men. They're translated as wise men. Um, you know, just, just want, want to give you a few examples. For instance, in Daniel chapter 248, the king placed Daniel on a high position, lavish with many gifts on him. This was the time when Daniel was able to, able to interpret uh, the, the dream uh, of Nebuchadnezzar, he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its magi, or wise men. This is what you find also in, 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 in Esther 1.13. Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of the law and justice, he spoke with the magi, the wise men, who understood the times. Meaning, this wise man had had, had different level of knowledge about society, about times, about science. And they were consultants. They were they were advisers to kings, so they were around during this time, uh, um, even during the Babylonians. And so, what we believe now is that, you know, this this Magi. The word, the plural world, the singular word is magus, magus or magus. Uh, they had a role in these empires. They had a role as as as, uh, as consultants, as, as advisors. And to the point, they're so powerful. Just think about this, how powerful they are. No Persian king is able to become a king without learning the scientific and religious ways of the Magi. Meaning this was a requirement for Persian kings. They have to know the ways of the Magi before they can, they can become king. And in, the, in Persia as well, a king cannot be a king without the approval of the Magi. Think about that. If you want to be a king in Persia, the Magi has to approve that. And and in fact, they're involved in the selection of kings, in the approval of kings, and the training of kings. So the Magi, they were not kings. But we can say that though they're not kings, they were king makers. They were king makers. They make people kings. And, and... And this kind of role even existed up to the New Testament time in the kingdom of Parthia, which is today, that's, that's Iraq and Iran, right? That's Iran and Iraq. And, and the, king, the, the empire of Parthia lasted from around 250 BC to 220 AD. So the birth of Jesus is right in the middle of the time when the Parthian Empire existed. And the location of the Parthian Empire is to the east of Judea. And the Bible says the Magi came from from the east. But unlike the Persian kings, where they have to approve, they have to select, approve, and train, what's amazing about Jesus is when they came to visit Jesus, they did not have to make him king. He was already king from birth. All the Magi did was to worship him and recognize him that he is king. Very different than anything they've done before. Because for them, they have to approve who's going to be king. But here, they just worship him right away and accepted that this baby is king. This baby is king. King of the Jews. As you'll know later, find out later that he's not also the king of the Jews. In fact, he's the king of every person in this world king of the human race, king of the world, king of kings. So we know that the Magi from this is that they were not just mystics. You know, so when you look at the Belen, when you look at the, the, the portrait of the birth of Jesus today, you'll see the shepherds and the Magi. One thing we know that they didn't come together, right? Because the Magi came only a year later. And secondly, when you look at the Magi in, in these uh, portrayals, there's only three of them. And they looked like they were mystics or some, some strange people from, you know, hide, hiding somewhere. And they, would just show, they just showed up during the birth of Jesus. Parang Tagalog, parang mga ermitanyo rin. You know? But they're not like that. They're not like that. Because if you go back to the time of Daniel in the time of the Persians and the Babylonians, they were people of high office. They were advisors to the king. They were treated like royalty. And even in the time of the Parthians, they were also treated like royalty. So, so what, we, what we can deduce from this, when they visited Jerusalem, they came in like royalty. They, were, they had attendants, they had servants, they, they had an army maybe, or a, or a group of a guard, guards. Some, that's why when I read some commentators about this, they believe that there's probably hundreds of people when when during the time when the Magi came to Jerusalem and the time when they visited Jesus in Bethlehem, there were probably hundreds of people the magi they're probably more than three because the magi it's a huge group it's a big group we don't know they're, they're probably more than three, and of course they got all the people that's around them soldiers and and their attendants and and that's why he, king Herod he was alarmed he was he was like in distress when he saw all these people coming in and asking, "Where's the King of the Jew?" and, and of course, and, and and being asked that question, he was he was the King of the Jew. First of all, that was offensive to him, and secondly, he felt bad because he doesn't know what doesn't know how to answer that question. Here comes a foreigner from Persia, from Parthia, and asking me the question that I should know in the first place. And I could not answer that question. I could not answer that question. Of course, Jerusalem was not able to answer that question. And maybe that's the reason why they were called three kings later on, because they looked like royalty when they came. And, and when you read uh, Matthew 2.11, I, I hope I put it in there. In Matthew 2.11, this is what you'll notice. In the coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So that's what the Magi did. They just worshipped Jesus. No questions asked, no doubts. They just gave in and worshipped Jesus. And, and, and what you notice there, says there, that treasures, um, their treasures, they, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh. You know that is really the entire statement on what they brought to Jesus. And, and, and it doesn't tell you that there were three magi, it doesn't tell you if there's three gifts actually. Because it simply tells us that there were gifts of frankincense, gold and myrrh. It if I'm going to read it maybe carefully there were three different kinds of gifts that were presented. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. As to the number of gifts, we're not very sure. We don't really know. It could be more than, more than three. And of course, there were probably more than three magi there. Uh, that's what I see there. There were three different kinds of gifts. And there's a reason why, because uh, as you'll see later, why those are the kinds of gifts that they gave. So this is what we know about the magi historically, okay? So, so these were people who were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And, and what we believe is that they got this information from Daniel because these people remember, Daniel was, was appointed the head of the Magi back during the time of the Babylonians. And they respected this Magi, they respected Daniel. It was not the Magi who put Daniel to the lion's den, it was the governors and the satraps, uh, you know, the, the, the leaders of the, of the provinces who put Daniel to the into the lion's den. But the Magi, they were loyal to Daniel. And what we believe is that since they don't have any background of, Jew, of, you know, of Jewish law or, or the Old Testament as, 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 we, as we see today, as we know today, it was probably Daniel who introduced this to them. And Daniel who probably introduced the, the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And, and what we believe is that they probably hold, held on to this belief until the time of the, G, of, of the New Testament. And they've been waiting and waiting and passing this information down to the next generation of Magi after Magi, generation after generation, until the star just showed up in in, in Judea and said, this is what we've been waiting for, for probably thousands of years. This is what we've been waiting for. Do you think only three people would show up there? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Probably it's the entire delegation of Magi from Parthia went there. Because this been wait, they've been waiting for this for thousands of years. I want, if I was even the servant there or, or driver for the Magi, I, I want to come, I want to come. I would probably go. Because this was an exciting moment for them. Because this is, this is a different kind of king. This is a king from birth, even before his birth. Unlike any other kings that, that they ever, they ever uh, appointed in the past. Okay, when did they arrive? Let, let's talk about when did the Magi arrive. Why did that verse come out? When did they arrive? Uh, I noted in my in my uh, in my uh, in the in the notes here at the program. It's around two to two two months to two years. We don't know exactly the exact date, um, but here's one. Here's an example. Why I wanted to point this out. Here's an example where we Christians we need to be very careful in how we read the Bible. Let's not read the bible Bible in a half hazard way just just to base it on assumptions you know we we christians we sometimes we we have a lot of assumptions we learn it from someone someone else or some pastor or some some book we read or some Christmas card we just read. But if you read the Bible carefully, there are some details you know. That oftentimes we miss, um, because it's it's an, it's normal thinking for us to think that the magi and the and the shepherds they came together at the same time, but that's not really what you find when you read the Bible. First, in 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 Luke, uh, uh, in our just let's go back, just go back to our notes. If you notice in Luke, um, in Luke chapter two. To 24, just on our notes, you, you can open the, your Bible if you want to as well, but it was the time of Mary's purification. So so we know from the Jewish law that Mary's purification has to be done 40 days or 41 days after she gives birth. So therefore, Mary went to the temple, bought, sacrificed an animal for the sacrifice, 41 days or 40 or 41 days definitely 41 because 33 yeah plus 8 is 41 right <laughs> okay uh, 41 days after her birth after giving birth to Jesus they bought animal sacrifices and you know what kind of animal they bought for sacrifice turtle doves or pigeons why did they buy those kinds of sacrifices why why is it that's, why is it that this were their choice this was their choice because they didn't have any money and you know, if somebody gave them gold before that, they could have bought what is really required, which is a lamb. So meaning when they went to the temple, they didn't have money. So therefore the Magi was not yet there 40 days, within 40 days after the birth of Jesus. Because they didn't have money. So you have some clues there that they didn't come together. So this is how you read the Bible carefully. You try to piece the puzzle together and really try to understand what's really going on. You don't, you don't just assume. Try to look at it carefully. Like, for instance, we know that Joseph and Mary was already in a house. During the birth of Jesus, it was in a stable, and Jesus had to sleep in a manger. But this time, he probably had a nice crib already. Or maybe he was already walking. We don't know. depends on what date. Maybe if he's three months old, maybe in a crib. But he was a year old, he's probably walking already. Uh, And also, we know that Herod, he knew the exact time of Jesus' birth. He knew his birthday because the magi told him. So when he decided to kill the babies in Bethlehem, he gave an age. He said two years and younger because he knew that Jesus was almost either two years old or one year old or somewhere in between. We don't know. So, so we know that this. So, so this. You try to think beyond just, uh, you know, try to. Think like a detective <laughs> when you study the Bible. But it gives you a better understanding on how you, you understand Scripture. Um, how, you, how you try to understand Scripture. So what about the star? Let's try to talk about the star. What about the star? What does the Bible say about the star? You know, everything we need to know about the star, ex- aside from the prophecies in the Old Testament, is in Matthew uh, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Um it says in, in 11, of course, we know that they saw the star in the east early on in, in verse uh verse 2. Uh, where is the let's just go back to verse 2 first? 2 verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2 in Matthew 2. Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? And they said here, we saw his star in the east. So meaning while they were in Parthia, while they were, and by the way, uh many believe that the the uh the uh, capital of Parthia was is Baghdad today. It's where Baghdad is located, and I tried to measure the distance of Baghdad to uh, to Judea or, or Jerusalem. It's around a thousand kilometers, thousand kilometers. So, and, and, and so that's far, right? But they were able to see the star uh, towards the west, uh, towards um, uh, you know in aligning, aligning with Judea and Israel, and that that this is the star that they saw from the east. And have come to worship and to worship him. That's what they said. Now, if you go down to verse 11, it says here on the coming. uh, Sorry, sorry, sorry. Verse 9. Sorry, it's in verse 9, not 11. Verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 and 10. After they had heard the king, so they spoke with Herod. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen from the east went ahead of them until it stopped. Over the place where the child was, now for us, when you read that passage haphazardly, lazy reading of the Bible, your mind just thinks about, okay, it's a star, it's just star, normal star, but when you read it, read it carefully, it's not a normal star, it's not the star the way we know it, notice, you know a lot of people think that this was. Jupiter that just aligned, that that just probably was brighter that night, or the alignment of the planets. Or maybe some people might think it's a special star that God created just for that moment in the heavens. I don't think it's any kind of star in the heavens. I don't think the star is even in in outer space. Because if you read the passage, it's not a star in outer space. Because if the star is really billions of light years away, or light years away in outer space, how can you tell? A specific house based on that star. <laughs> I think there's no way of knowing. Okay, oh, that star is aligning with the house of Atemes. I should go to the house of Atemes. But if you look at all the stars right now, up the sky, it could could be connecting with any uh, any house <laughs> on Earth. <laughs> I don't think this is a normal star. I don't think even this is like you know he- a heavenly body. As we, it's very clear in the passage. I think that's not. It it it's moving. And it stop. I think there's great evidence that this light is simply a light. It's simply light. In fact, if you look at the Greek of the word aster, which is where the word star comes from, the meaning of the word simply means brilliance. It simply means brilliance or radiance. So it, the, the, the Greek of this passage does not even tell us whether it's a heavenly being or whatever. It's just light. It's just a source of light. Whatever it is, we don't know. But here's something we can deduce from this. You know, if you notice, back in the Old Testament, how did God lead the Jews in the wilderness? In the evening, how did God lead those people, the Jews? Through a pillar of fire. And whenever God was present in the temple, there was what we call the Shekinah glory of God over the temple, over the tabernacle. And that's how people knew that God is there. Because there was the glory of God, bright. And the presence of God, God's guiding light was through a pillar of fire. So I truly believe based on this passage, it was no different than what the Jews saw in the wilderness. There was a light that was high enough so people in Persia, or the wise men who was in Persia or Parthia can see it. It was high enough that, that when, the, when the wise men were in Jerusalem, they were able to see it but it's low enough so that they could identify that it is over Bethlehem and it's over a specific house in Bethlehem. And it, it's probably the Shekinah glory of God. It was the, because it was Christ, the Son of God. So it must be the glory of God. It was high enough so that people can see it and know where it is over. But low enough, you can tell, okay, this is over a specific house. And, and, and if you look at this description here, in verse 9, it says here, they went on the, um, When they heard the king, went on the way, and the star they have seen in the east, meaning it's the same thing they saw in the east, it went ahead of them. It seems to be moving. Then it stopped over the place where the child was. No heavenly being, not even a comet, not even a meteor, not even, you know, the stars in space. Behave like this. No. None. And, and here's one reason. And one interesting thing. The people of Jerusalem did not see this. Herod did not see this. If it was a real star, everyone should be able to see it. But how come it was only the wise man who was able to see this? It seems God was keeping this from other people except the wise man. And again, there's a reason for that. Because we know that God didn't want Herod to know. Right? God didn't want Herod to know. You know, it's amazing, this wise man, they, they, they had a pure heart in worshiping God. You know, the Herod, he said, I'm going to worship Jesus. But his motivations were wrong. And one thing about this wise man also... Let's let's just go that later. I'm getting ahead. So, so let's just make a conclusion here. This was not a normal star as we know. Lastly, as we end this message, what can we learn from the wise men? What, we, what can we learn from the magi? One thing about this Christmas story for me that's interesting. God used two extremes as examples in this story. If you remember the story of the, of, of Nicodemus and the woman by the well in, in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. These two people, Jesus shared the gospel. These two people. And what's interesting about Nicodemus and, and the woman by the well, Nicodemus was one of the highest officials of Israel. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And today, today it's probably, he's a senator probably compared today in this country. And he was probably wealthy, and he has he was a person of power. He was recognized by society, respected by society, and he Jesus met with this person, shared the gospel with this person. In in John chapter 4, we see an, another extreme example. There was a woman who was with the, by the well and Jesus was asking for water and of course shared this with this woman that Jesus, I am the source of of, of life, and I, I can give you water that and that you will never thirst again. And this woman belongs to is a Samaritan woman. And the Samarian, Samaritans are, are despised people by the Jews. But not, not, not even that. The woman is even much lower because she was living with a man who was not his, her husband. And in fact, she had multiple husbands, uh, uh, partners who was not her husband. And so the people in Samaria despise her. That's why he was getting water during noontime. Normally people get water in the morning and evening when it's cool. But this woman, in the heat of the day, was getting water because she was ashamed. She, was, she didn't want to show herself to the rest of the community. But it tells you, here's a woman who was very low, even rejected by his own people, and of shame to show herself in public. Jesus went and shared the gospel with this woman. It's two extremes. And this is what you find in this, in this account, in Christmas account. you got the shepherd that represents uh, people of low estate, Humblest circumstance, and you got the wise men who were rich, positions of power. It's interesting. You got two, two two classes of people, and they both need to share to hear the gospel. He need to know about the coming Messiah. And also, you see also the diff, distinction. Shepherds represented the Jews, while the Magi represented us, Gentiles represented us. And, and this magi, they traveled thousands of miles. They knew that Jesus was king based on the prophecy. They came to worship him. They didn't even expect anything from Jesus. In fact, they were the ones who gave their best gifts to Jesus. And, and they made an effort to find Jesus. They made an effort to know where Jesus was born, uh, is going to be born. You know, it's opposite for people today. I hope we worship and seek Jesus like the Magi. Because today, you know, people come to the Lord. And they when they come to the Lord, they expect something. God, I'm going to come to you, but you have to bless me. And today, people are asking God, God, prove yourself to me. I will not believe you unless you do something, unless you do some miracle, unless you do something interesting in my life. You know, they ask God to prove himself. himself, himself. And and people today, you know, they they... When they come to Christ, they don't have that same reverence as the magi. Now, when you come to Christ in worship, do you have it? Do you do you bow down to him? Do you bow down? If not physically, at least humble yourselves before him in worship. Because, you know, people today we're we're so proud and we don't humble ourselves before God. But think about this magi, they they just knelt down and worship. And I pray that, you know, whenever we sing songs of worship. We may not physically bow down, but I pray that our hearts are, are like this when we sing the songs of worship in humility. In humility. Just like the magi. They gave gifts of gold. You know, gold is the one of the most sought after tra- after treasure back then. And gold is is it still sought after today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If there's gold here, I know you're all gonna fight for it, right? I'm gonna throw gold there, and you'll go, I want it and 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 gold is a special gift if it's given as a gift. You don't just give anyone gold. Maybe if you're gonna give gold to someone, it's probably someone you really, really love, right? You don't just give gold to your best friend <laughs> I, I, I i don't I, I don't know if you've done that done that. <laughs> Or maybe your classmate are going to give gold. I, I don't know. That's a no, not normal thing to do. If, if you're going to give gold to someone, someone must be very, very precious to you. But other than that, the other reason why you're going to give gold to someone, if that person is a king. If that person is royalty. But what's strange in this account, why would anyone, why, would they, why did the Magi give a baby gold? That's the strangest gift you can give to a baby. If you have a baby right now, maybe Alex. Alex, I'm going to give you lots of gold. It's not Alex going to be happy. It's Clay who's going to be happy. <laughs> but gold we know that represents the, who Jesus is, that he is king. And also, there's a practical reason. It will finance their, their life as they escape to Egypt later on. But what does this gold gift mean to us as Christians? You know, before you're going to be in relationship with the king, before you come into a relationship with, with the king, you must be a subject of that king first. You cannot just be in relationship with the king without being his subject. You must first give your best to the king. You know, just like, just like an enemy warrior or an enemy knight, let's just say surrendering to his new king, he would lay down his arms. He would lay down his sword before the king. And I think that's true for us. for us, That before Jesus becomes your king, you must lay down your arms before you, your weapons before him, your life before him. In fact, the gold that you need to lay before Jesus is your own life. It's your own very life. Meaning gold represents not only Jesus being royalty, but Jesus being your king. Your Lord, and the question is for you Is Jesus your King today? Is He your King now, or He's just some servant you just call and whenever you have problems? Is He just some, some spirit? Talk, Jesus, oh Lord, I just need you when I have problems. But what Jesus wants for us is for Him to be your King. Secondly, frankincense Frankincense was made from a sap of a tree, and and, and this substance is often used in temple worship. You know, that's where we get incense uh, in temple worship. And this is a strange gift also for a baby. Why would God give frankincense, or why would the magi give frankincense to a baby? It foreshadows one of Jesus' role being the high priest, but there's even something greater. Frankincense signifies worship. So gold signifies the lordship of Christ. Frankincense signifies worship. That Jesus is deity. Jesus is son of God. And he deserves our worship. And what does this mean for us as Christians? Not only that Jesus being our Lord, that he is someone we ought to worship. That's why like the magi, the first time they saw the baby Jesus, they just bow down and worship him. And let this be our heart every day. Whenever we remember, recognize Jesus, whenever we sing worship songs, that will be our heart. worship worship not in a prideful manner, but in a humble, humble manner that he is the source of eternal life. he is the high priest who intercedes on our behalf and, and how do you worship God? I know there's a passage in Hebrews uh, in Romans 12 that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto the Lord. So the question for us is, is your life a pleasing aroma before the God before God? Is your life a pleasing incense before God? Meaning, how are you living your life? Is it glorifying God? Is it honoring God with everything that you have? With every moment of your life? And I pray this coming year, uh, as we face a new year, let this be our goal. Let this be our, one of the goals of our life. The Lord, I want to live for you every moment. Just like what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, that we are to make every, most of every opportunity, redeeming the time, meaning every moment of your life must be worth, has some worth before God. And that's my desire for myself that this coming year, I will account every minute of my day and make those minutes count. Every minute. From the moment I wake up until the moment I sleep that I will make an accounting of every moment. I will put it in a calendar and I will look at how am I using every second of my life. I think that will really change the direction of your life, especially if you give every moment, every second to God. You know that what you're doing is honorable before God. I pray that you'll be like Paul. Make the most of every opportunity. Redeem the time. And lastly, lastly, Mirror I think of all the gifts that' strain, most strange in this list. Mirror is the most mirror is the most stra- strangest gift, because if you compare it to our time, you're going to a baby shower, <laughs> and everyone is giving nice gifts, you know, rattle or whatever, uh, uh, a crib or a new uh, baby. Maybe I gave uh, you know, I used to well, usually gives a CD for baby songs. You know, and you all go to baby shower, and here comes maybe I'll use John. Here comes John going to the baby shower and bringing this big box. And when you, when John opened, hey, this is my gift. I've been I've tried to find this from all over Austin and finally found one. And when you open the box, it's a coffin. Now, who would give a coffin during a baby shower? The magi did. Magi did. It's like giving a coffin to Jesus because myrrh is used for embalming the dead. In fact, 33 years later, that was the same substance that was used, put on the body of Jesus before he was laid in the tomb. Myrrh and aloes. So myrrh represents not only, we know gold represents the, God, Christ being king and being your lord. And frankincense means Jesus being our God, Son of God, being our priest, being our Savior, being, being, being deity, and deserves our worship. Mir represents Jesus being our Savior through His death on the cross. Death on the cross. And our response is to trust Him. Trust Him for our salvation. And the question for us is, Do we really trust Jesus? I know I struggle at times. You know, there are things in my life that I do not understand. I don't know what God is doing. I feel that God is not doing anything. And you know, there were times in my experience I would say, God, how come my parents are better than you? You know, I told God that back then. God, my parents are better than you. How come my parents, when I have problems, they would really come in and take care of my needs? But how come you, when I pray, as if nothing is happening, Lord? And I know sometimes you might feel like that in your prayers, as if God is not doing anything in your prayer. But Scripture tells us that even if we don't see anything, we know God is in control. We know He is in control. And we can trust Him, even though we don't understand fully the circumstance.